welcome to the Work Research Revolution. I'm your host, Cara DeLunger. In this podcast, I speak to doctors, scientists, professors, and business leaders who are at the leading edge of this work research revolution and radically changing the way we work. We will be harnessing their collective insight so that we can create the catalyst that drives much needed change in the future of work around the world. Work Reset Revolution is brought to you by Softer Success. Visit www.softersuccess.com to learn how you can revolutionize your well-being plan and help eradicate burnout in your organization. So let's get to today's episode. Welcome to the Work Reset Revolution, and I'm here today with Dr. Roy Sugarman, who's Chief Neuroscientist at Box Media, inventor, and also works at Performance Innovation. So welcome, Roy. Delighted to have you today. Thank you. Glad to be back. Brilliant. Yes, because I know you're in Australia, aren't you? Um, Because we're here in the UK and you're in Australia. So wonderful to have you on this show today. Well, that's lovely. It's my second work day of the same day. (laughs) (laughs) So just to get started, I'd like to ask you a question. And in your view, what are the biggest challenges affecting modern workplaces at the moment? I think it's more of a who than a what. I think Mm -hmm. the biggest challenge is old school thinking, the kind of bums on seats management, which we still see and which took a big hammering, you know, during COVID. I think we have a saying in the universities that innovation happens one funeral at a time. You know, you have to wait for the old guard to die and your professors trained you in the way their professors trained them. So I think the big obstacle to innovation and to the future workplace is old school mentality. And especially, I think, some of the masculine identity stuff of running a business for the boys that you meet in the pub and talk to as opposed to bringing in diversity and innovation and other things. And these don't fit well with old school managers. So I think that's been the biggest obstacle in all the performance innovation work with the big corporates is getting the old school out the way for the new school, the new normal. How do you get the old school out of the way for the new? <laughs> I think you organize kidnap squads and you hide <laughs> them. If you want to see your business again, you'll go to a hybrid model, you know. But I think the cat's out of the bag and they are struggling anyway. So I think the natural attrition of life, you know, you can't put the genie back in the bottle or the cat back in the bag. So I think innovation is proceeding anyway. A lot of them are really trying to force everybody back into the workplace to continue to make the rentals worthwhile. And the governments are very excited to demand people go back so that the landlords don't croak. But you can't stop innovation in a way. So I think it'll happen anyway. But Obviously, it's kind of a bottom line thing. And if you can show people the return on investment, the value added of the new approaches, as we know, with gender equality or bringing in genders, different genders across your boardroom table, and we know that sales forces are more effective, diversity and inclusion actually works. It's not just a work thing. So I think it's going to be the bottom line. The old bums on seats want to know, is this going to cost me money or make me money? And the clear answers are that innovation in the workplace makes you more efficient, makes you more productive, you know, even trialing four-day weeks, all the kind of things which make old school people get all upset working from home. But again, the bottom line is going to make a difference. And we can demonstrate that on return on investment for every dollar you spend that way, you're getting a good return. 
Yes. And, you know, I feel that really there's this such this resistance to change, isn't there? You know, kind of let's go back to how we were doing things before. And as you say, it's just not possible. There's a tidal wave of change coming. And but, you know, change is, yeah, change is difficult for everybody. Change equals anxiety equals challenging. But in peak performance, we all have to exceed our own image of what the world looks like, of what we look like. And when we do that, it creates anxiety. We help them manage the inevitable anxiety that change brings. And so we were talking a bit about this last week, having a great chat about how, you know, we used to be much more certain of things happening in the world, even our climate, right? So in different parts of the world, people were more sure of, you know, their seasons and what the climate would look like. And that would give us humans, I guess, a type a bit of certainty. So now we've got this uncertainty on lots of different levels. Do we need to rewire our brain somehow? And, and how do we do that to accept this uncertainty and move forward? Well, change is an interesting concept, which we tie up to psychological flexibility. If you want to grow and adapt, you have to be willing to experience negative emotion. You have to be willing to feel uncertain. You have to live with the uncertainty. That's what change means. So growth equals change equals anxiety. So, yes, we get people to do two things. The one is understand that the world's a difficult place now and that change is inevitable and it's going to be uncomfortable. The second thing is we establish a range of values of things they are cherished about, how they go about doing things, and we get them to stick to those principles. So in shifting from bums on seats to something else, we develop the idea of what is important to you now, what is more cherished than bums on seats. And we rearrange the hierarchy of values in businessmen and businesswomen to a certain extent, and we get them to shift on the basis of this is going to hurt. But what are your values here and what's important to you so that you can endure your pain and be willing to experience how difficult it is? So feeling that pain, feeling that fear and sitting with it, the uncertainty, and then the matching of the values. So the, the business values also with the individuals is what you're saying as well. Younger people coming up are looking for some kind of moral imperative. They're looking for some kind of sense of impact. They're not just interested in, well, I'll go and work for a petroleum company because it's great and it'll make me a lot of money and we'll farm coal and they're going, okay, we're not a generation that is just going to listen. We want what we want, which is going to be hybrid models, a mixture of things, an ongoing idea of growth. They're looking for their contribution. They're looking for a conviction, a sense of culture and commitment and confidence in the Jessica Price Jones way of looking at happiness. So it's inevitable if you want productivity, you're going to have to match your company's values to the values of your workers. It's not a top-down process anymore. People don't stand for it. They just get out of your way and you lose your talent. So the idea of matching the values with your staff is taking out the whole old-style school of you work for me and I'll tell you what to do. That doesn't work. No, so that's a way of tackling this challenge, really. And so tell me a little bit more about the work that you do and that you're currently doing also at Box Media. Yeah, so what we're doing is we're going, okay, if people process information differently today, 
And if the values and the nature of what they consider their epistemology, if you like, is not about some weird ontology, some weird reality, their epistemology is what are we to regard as facts in terms of values, then we have to tell stories to get them to process properly. So being entertaining, producing stories, and humans are bad at abstracts. So using stories that have an abstraction in them and elevate people to this idea of questioning values and adopting new values is part of an approach which we thought would work quite well. Good storytelling, good producers, good directors, good scripts, but based in science. And that's where my job comes in to say, okay, the way we learn is through relational framing for the similarities and differences between our values, between what we regard as facts. And second of all, the idea of chain diffusion modeling, creating models for us to follow that have impact that are great. And we did a decompression after Davos just before we hit COVID. At Sam Moritz, we were talking to female entrepreneurs who do impact work and make a lot of money. Andy Cooper's leapfrog kind of profit through purpose. If we weave these stories and we create these metaphors and we allow humans to deal with abstractions in the workplace, such as diversity and inclusion and other things that are abstract, we can educate them and get them to be more effective listeners. And if in a way, our mission is to connect the emotional 300 million year old centers in you with your modern day cognitions. And the way we do that is using communication specialties, making people really expert in being able to balance the demands of their emotions and their thinking. Because when emotions and thinking collide, you become ambivalent and then change doesn't happen. So we facilitate change through science-based storytelling, getting to relational frames and chain diffusion modeling and the other parts of the models of the Internet of Things and engagement and retention that we've created. So really a great place to work, great fun, and the receptions have been wonderful and we're winning awards. And it's just so fantastic, isn't it? Just building on this evolutionary phenomenon of humans in general that always evolve through storytelling, right? So that's how we know many of the things from the past through storytelling. But blending that with science you know, it's just a fantastic concept. So, I mean, if you give a man a fish, he eats for tonight. If you're telling stories about fish, he listens the whole night. Absolutely. So in your, what other ideas do you think and what do you think a work reset revolution would look like? Well, it's going to be obviously a hybrid model because the cat is out of the bag and the genie is out of the bottle. So people obviously love to work from home or what I call living at work, which has all the downsides to that. But really what is critical in, in the ways of we are social creatures, the evolution of our frontal executive functions, our planning, our ability to do the difficult thing that is the correct thing to do when we have a choice, all evolved in the company of others. I always say that, you know, when animals work from home, it's called a zoo. It's not a zoom, it's a zoo. And consequently, the cages we create by working at home don't allow us to socialize. And therefore, we get lost in the floods. So the whole idea really is that we need to mix socialization with the freedom to be at home and, and scratch our butts and only dress from the waist up or whatever we do in this new world. But it's going to be hybrid because we can't stay away from our teams. We need to interact. We need the security of knowing like-minded others, a sense of relatedness in the self-determination literature. We have to be around like-minded people to feel secure. And then we also need to be able to not waste time on commuting. But then again, working from home has its own challenges. A hybrid blend is going to go there. 
and reviews now of American and UK and Australian staff. Nobody wants to be in the office. Nobody wants to be at home alone. They all want a hybrid model. Very few people want to run away from the house. So it's that flexibility, isn't it? I was talking to one of our interns about that and I was asking him, I said, what is the ideal future workplace? And the first word that was just flexibility, you know, and a bit more autonomy to decide what's best, uh, how I work best, right? Whether that's that combination of homework or whether they are prefer to be office or that, you know, so it's flexibility. And another you thing- the A word there. You mentioned the A word. I had to jump in here. You mentioned the autonomy word. The most important organizing factor of our lives is to defend our autonomy. And the workplace and the old school bums on seats definition is the opposite of autonomy. So if we defend our autonomy, guide our own lives, it's around what's important to us, which is our values in surrounded by like-minded people, which is our colleagues, if we all share the same value system. And that allows us to grow as in mastery and cope with the anxiety of growth and also obviously stay with purpose. So what you said is really important because it all links together. Absolutely. So it's not just about unlearning on some of these unhealthy habits that we've built up, but it's also about this, and we talk about this a lot at Softer Success, really structurally changing business policies and procedures to incorporate all of this, right? To also incorporate people's well-being, to make sure that that's part of Uh, contracts job descriptions make sure that there is actually time allowed and that is part of how people work as well as you know looking to measure their risks of of burnout as well and taking that lead themselves right so I guess that autonomy sits there too sure and you mentioned the measure word which is also Mm. important because you know especially in the work you do we have to measure concepts to manage them you can say well there is presenteeism or there's burnout or there's all these things But if you don't actively measure it, you don't know the extent to which it's impacting on your productivity. So one of the future things is really having psychological management within your workplace. The Be A Looper Enterprise, or what we call the Looper Enterprise we're building, is a mental health check-in for your staff to check in every day, for HR to monitor and see who's feeling okay, who's having what the Dutch call a baldach. I think it's called, isn't it? Yes. You just yeah, it's a baldach. Yeah. A I want a baldach, you know. Yeah, I'm from um, the Netherlands so like, originally, so yeah, <laughs> true. Absolutely, you know, so and managing the present, but you have to measure it to manage it. And obviously you, you can't really measure autonomy unless you sit down and talk. And there's a whole science to that. So I think a science-based, not a bums on seats, a coaching base that is informed, not just because you have a track record as a coach or a track record as a manager, but you actually follow a science, you follow a formula of autonomy, of mastery, of relatedness and effectiveness and purpose to avoid burnout and you have a values-based system. There's beautiful science, there's years of it, there are hundreds of studies. So I think the workplace of the future won't have idiosyncratic management. Mm. We won't have non-systemic, this is what I've always done and I'm going to impose my structure and my style of doing things on the company necessarily, but start to follow some fairly well-documented psychological management to allow your staff to be psychological flexibly, which makes them competitive and gives them a competitive mindset, which pushes your sales teams 14% up. 
You know, so there's a range of intelligent business that we can do. Otherwise, by the time we get intelligent, we'll have AI machines running the business, which is possibly going to be better than a lot of things. And Uh, I think the important element, yes, there's that important element of emotion comes in. And are these machines going to be sentient? No, because they can't feel their own little bodies. We feel our bodies at home. We feel our bodies at work. And there's a lovely balance and the extremes, I think, will be gone. I don't think we'll be working in singular workplaces again. No, it's that mind-body connection, you know, scientifically measuring our risks of burnout and everywhere where we're at. So I absolutely agree. So thank you so much, Roy. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and I know our listeners will really enjoy it. So if you'd like to get in touch or read about Dr. Roy's work, we will have it at the bottom of the podcast. So just click on the links there. And thank you very much. Thank you, Cara. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Work Research Revolution. I'd like to know what has been your biggest takeaway from this conversation. As a next step, share this episode with anyone that you think may benefit. Follow us on LinkedIn at Softer Success for more inspiration to change the way we work. And contact us at info at softersuccess.com to find out more about our burnout assessment tool. If you have any feedback on how to improve, please do reach out to me as I'm always keen to learn more. Thank you so much for listening and we'll meet again on the next episode of Work Reset Revolution. Thank you.